filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story. This morning as we explore the, uh, the guidance of God given to us in the Scriptures, in a book that to, at least to human eyes, looks like it's black and white, not colorful, not dynamic, not full of pictures, we find such richness and wisdom of God. And God has a mind for us, He has a heart for us, and He has wisdom for us, even in the dealings of our emotions. What is your emotional IQ? What is your ability to understand God's wisdom for emotions? And the book of Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, God speaks to us even about our emotions. Yes, God goes there too. Listen, there isn't anywhere in our life where God doesn't have wisdom. Even wisdom for our feelings. You know, those those things we feel that that even change with just the flicker or the blink of an eye or sometimes linger all too long or sometimes take us to 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 heights unimaginable or, or depths that we never dreamed were there or in our worst nightmare imagined were there. God has wisdom for our emotions. Whether you're a man or woman, here this morning, you're an emotional being. That's part of what makes us human. What makes us human is that we are image bearers and we are emotional because we have a God who is emotional. The God who is holy in his emotions, the God who is wise in his emotions, has wisdom for us in our emotions. He created you with every every one of your emotions. He implanted in there, he engraved in there, in, in your heart. Where, where do faith and feelings come together and, and where are they apart? Well, let's look in the book of Proverbs. And admittedly, I, I share with you this, this word this morning, and I, perhaps I, I just want to just wet, wet the taste buds, buds of your heart, so to speak, to, to explore perhaps more of this in your understanding of the emotions and the guidance that God has for your feelings in the Word of God. This won't be a comprehensive sermon, but perhaps it'll be an introductory sermon to this. And I impart to you really just about the, to the level of knowledge that I have of understanding in this message. I try to be faithful to that, but I admit to you, I am, I am no expert on this realm. And so I too gather with you in the Word and let's see what God has to say. And so... So going into the first chapter of Proverbs, we begin with really the, the thesis verse in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 1. We'll read this and dig into this this morning. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, would you pray together? Father, lead us not into theoretical or even psychological realms this morning that are just built upon man's reason and man's science. 
take us into the inner part of your heart and the inner part of your counsel and wisdom that we could find substantial hope. Hope in, in you and help in you and then, and then hope also in the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ who himself gave himself even emotionally to fulfill all righteousness for emotional creatures like us who have fallen effects upon our emotions. And he is able to purify, yea, even justify our emotions in his perfect and full and complete righteousness. He perfected emotional righteousness on our behalf. And then he imputes and he grants the capacity for us to live out our emotions in a holy way. Train us in this, Lord, we ask. We ask that you would lead us into wisdom and that this would be a fruitful experience for us as we behold our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the living word and the living wisdom of God. Grant that we would be awakened, even our affections, not merely our minds, but our affections, and that, that we would move towards you with adoration and admiration, with a, a holy reverence of your greatness and your goodness, that we would fear you this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. But think with me, the answer to this question, but what is the first emotion that is recorded in the Bible as being expressed by a human being? I suggest to you that it appears right after Adam awakes from his divinely induced sleep and beholds Eve. Surely his poetic expression, beholding her virtue and beauty, is full of emotion, although it might not be carried in, in the words that we would expect. Genesis 2.23, then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. While we can't quite pinpoint which emotion is found in this, may I suggest that in Adam's expression is a mixture of surprised delight, admiration, awe, and love. And since then, emotions have colored the story of every human being. And when God came to earth in Jesus Christ, we see a very clear picture of a God who himself has emotion, even as he has created us to be a reflection of his emotions. I'd like to share with you some, another author, an author's point of view on how Christ demonstrated emotions. Listen as this, in this lengthy quotation. He says, how do we see real emotion, perfect emotion in Christ? In many ways. But his primary feeling in this world was, as this author would propound, was compassion. He looked at the rich young man and loved him in Mark 10. He was moved with pity by the leper 
in Mark 1. He wept over Lazarus in John 11. He wailed over Jerusalem in Luke 19. He sighed over the deaf man in Mark 7. Jesus cared deeply, and he still does today. Wherever the gospel goes, people's compassion is aroused. Paul wrote, I yearn for you all with affection of Christ, in Philippians 1.8. The heart of Christ melted this stuck-up Pharisee's heart, Paul, with yearning and affection. And today the emotions of the risen Christ are flowing into, into us as believers. We humble ourselves and get involved. Gospel emotions are a vital part of the display of Christ to our city, to our community. Emotions are a major way we create a gospel culture at our church where people can experience a compassion that comes from God. The author continues, but Jesus felt more than tenderness and compassion. He also got angry. He got angry at the Pharisees. He was grieved at the hardness of their heart, Mark 3. When his own disciples wanted to shoo the children away, he was irritated and he showed it in Mark 10. He angrily offended. He was angrily offended at death when he stood at the grave of a friend, John 11. He busted up the money changers in the temple in John 2. And the Bible says he made the whip himself. So it wasn't a mere outburst. He meant it. He called people pigs in Matthew 7, 6. He called people hypocrites in Matthew 15, 7. He called people wolves in Matthew 7, 15. Jesus never wavered in openly resenting what's wrong with our world. But he went beyond anger at wrong. He also suffered for it. The author continues. It's why the Bible calls him a man of sorrows in Isaiah 53, 3. He took our sorrows as his own. He didn't have to, but emotional vulnerability is part of the price love is willing to pay. His heart was tormented in his passion. He said, now is my soul troubled, John 12, 27. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Matthew 26, 37 and 38. The author says on the cross, he felt the flames of hell. He smelled the smoke of hell, but he endured the cross for a reason. And that reason was the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12, 2. The Bible says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above his companions. Psalm 45, 7. In other words, he was the happiest man around. The Bible says he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit in Luke 10, 21, and that's high octane joy. He told us why he came in John 15, 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He did not come to give us emotionless ethic. He came to give us the fullness of his joy. He did not come into this world with a burning sense of wrong, but with a happy sense of mission. And he lived in close fellowship with God all the way. Jesus lives for us, the author continues in conclusion. Jesus lives for us in our place, the perfect human life, with every emotion in alignment with God. 
And here in the book of Proverbs, we have this wisdom for our emotions, our turbulent emotions, our negative emotions, our dead emotions, our distorted emotions. We need, the author concludes, the emotional life of Christ. And he wants to give it to us. God cultivates holy emotions in us. When God comes to a sinner, he finds a lost one, an unregenerate one. He finds them, especially in their emotional state, to be an untamed jungle. All of their emotions are, are woven together like overgrown vines that are tangled up together in an untamed jungle. This is how God finds you at the point of salvation. He finds you to be an utter wreck. A garden desperately needed weeding. A jungle of tangled vines. But he doesn't just leave you there. He doesn't just rip out the vines, rip out the weeds, so to speak, and leave a barren desert and leave you really at a a net zero, at a neutral point. Emotionless, stoic. And at times, Christianity has has thought it to be so. That in order to to rid ourselves of, of passions, of emotions, then we ought to be stoic, unmovable, and emotionless. But instead of ripping out the vines and ripping out the weeds and doing all this, God cultivates in us, He begins to cultivate in us a rich, rich garden. And so doing, as God pulls and and sorts through and puts in order the emotions in our life in a sanctifying process, he finds different vines and different sort of emotions and categories of emotions. There's many categories, there's many uh, types of emotions, but Proverbs speaks to many of them. Sometimes it's helpful to, to hear the, the positive emotion and negative emotion. Together, There's in the book of Proverbs, speaks about happiness and it also speaks about sorrow. Proverbs 15, 13, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Proverbs 17, 22, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. In Proverbs 15, 30, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Proverbs not only speaks about happiness and sorrow, but also the category of anger and, and unrest and, and peace. And Proverbs 10:12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 19:11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 29:22 says, "A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger." causes much transgression. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs talks about being concerned in a godly way about things, being careful about something, and also being carefree. The writers of Proverbs also tell us what it looks like to be diligent in spirit, to be industrious 
in our spirit and our emotions, but also to be lazy or apathetic. Proverbs speaks of numbness and insensitivity as compared to even intensity and, and concern and diligence. The Proverbs goes into the realms of fear in an ungodly way, nervousness, anxiety, and then also courage. Proverbs 24, 19 and 20 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. But you know, there's something interesting about emotions that we all probably will recognize and, and affirm this morning, is that at some time, sometimes it feels like we have many emotions all at the same time. We can recognize that in the same exact moment, we, it's impossible for us to sort out exactly how we feel. Has someone ever asked you, how are you feeling right now? And you said, I don't know. It's because feelings, uh, feelings don't line up like in a single file line waiting for you to call next. Like children at the water fountain in elementary school. Sometimes they just all come at once. They're part of the human experience. Proverbs 14.13 says, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. We all know what that's like. To pretend to laugh, but on the inside to ache and grieve. So what do we do with emotions? What do we do with these? Are they outside the bounds of grace? Since, wisdom, since, since emotions feel irrational or, or more feeling or circumstantial, how does wisdom relate to emotions? Can God come to us like a, like a great psychologist and give us counsel in emotions? You bet he can. And he does in Proverbs. Well, the psalmist seems to model for us a, a pattern of, of worship in emotion. The psalm seems to, us to, to give us what emotion looks like as we relate to God. The, the writers of Proverbs seem to give us practical wisdom on what emotion looks like outside of the church, if you will. What does emotion look like at, at, in our homes? What does emotion look like out in the field or in the workplace or, or in, our, in our leisure, in our passions, in our ambitions? writer of Proverbs seems to say, here's where to place these emotions. So what do we do with emotions? What does God expect from us in emotions? There are several truths this morning that I think we ought to bring out. Number one is, know this. Know that emotions are signals of the heart. There are two lights on my dashboard, on my car, that I ignore all the time. I have this one tire that's a good tire. It just can't keep air when the temperature fluctuates 50 degrees here in Ohio. And so it's fill the tire with air signal. And then the other one is a check engine light. I figure that's not really important, so I ignore that all the time too. <laughs> I actually know the code. It's okay. It's one of those exhaust issues, you know. But it's not helpful, really. 
when we ignore the dashboard, is it? We recognize that what is on the dashboard is really a display. It's a signal of something going on far deeper. We wouldn't dare put a, a piece of tape over top of certain lights on our dashboard so as to, if I don't see it, it doesn't matter. But emotions are much the same way. Emotions are the dashboard of the heart. We learned uh, two Sundays ago that the tongue is the dipstick of the heart. It lets you know what's deep within. Emotions are the dashboard. They readily shout, blink, so apparent. You don't even have to pop the hood. It's just right there. What's going on in my heart? I can tell by my emotions. They show us what we love emotions do. And often what we love, we worship, we give attention to, we give our affection to, we, we give a priority to, we, we invest in. Emotions tell us what we love, and what we love, we tend to worship. That doesn't mean everything that we love, we worship. We, we love many things, that's not wrong. But we ought to love God the most. And supremely above all things and certainly above all people. And that's why as we love all people, we love people and we love God. And there's many things going on with people and with God in our relationship. That's why there's many different emotions in the same moment. There's a vertical and a horizontal going on and it's all coming to, together, blinking on our dashboard. And so there's so many dynamics of this that... That there's joy and sorrow and grief and concern and anxiety and nervousness and fear and courage and boldness. And, and, and all of it is flooding in at the same time and some most often uninvited. Now, the reason why we have so many emotions in one instance is because we have so many loves being involved in that one instance. So many loves. Loves both concrete, that is, in the form of people, but also also abstract in, in the form of, did my, was my comfort just jeopardized, potentially? Was my convenience just disoriented? Were my priorities just shaken? Was my agenda just messed with? On top of my concern for this person or this circumstance or this goal? And, and, and so we have so many, we have many loves and affections being, uh, being all put into this one pile of, goo and messiness of our emotions. It's impossible to really just dissect them out and say, well, I just feel one emotion because we have many loves and interests all being, all being jeopardized in this moment or all being in, uh, heightened or celebrated in this moment. Think about the Olympic athlete as he crosses the line as the fastest runner you know, in, in the race. All of a sudden, everything is flooding his mind and he just melts right there on the track and he's just he's full of pride, he's full of uh, of satisfaction, he's full of exhaustion, he, he's, he's full of joy, he's, he's full of, uh, of acceptance and affirmation. Just everything is running into there and just piled up. Which one does he feel? All of them. Because all of them were goals. All of them were touch points in his life. There was, there was strings attached in, in a hundred different areas in his life. And in the completion of that goal and the success and the celebration, so many of things were affirmed and and, and are able to be celebrated in that. And they all tell of what he, what he loves and what he gives of himself to. 
But not every time does our emotion tell us what we love. Sometimes our emotions are the fruit of circumstances that are physical or physiological. Such as our emotions can be the result of, of caffeine intake. It doesn't have to do with something necessarily that we love. They could be the result of, you know, medication. They could be the result of, of circumstance where, where the only appropriate emotion now that is, has been revealed in my life is, is what is appropriate for this moment. Now, whether it's tragic or celebratory, it was not invited. It was evoked. It was, I'm human, I'm, I'm flesh. And this was the, this was the emotional response. So sometimes our emotions don't accurately reflect you know, what we really have given our supreme love to or our worship to. So we need to, to acknowledge that there are effects, even external effects, that can induce, evoke, instigate an emotional response. We also acknowledge that emotional expression can be cultural. It can be cultural. Go to another even part of, of the country or just even to another church this morning. Let alone another part of the world. And whether it's a microculture or, or, a, or an identifiable ethnic culture, we find that there are different emotional expressions that are, that are just natural to the community and natural to, to the culture. Different parts of the world and different ethnicities emote in different ways. Even here at Providence, we have nurtured and cultivated some level of, of emotional uh, interaction in our worship and our fellowship with one another, the expression of our faith that is probably leveled out to a common, a common uh, denominator. That we've created an emotional culture here, not intentionally necessarily, but there's an emotional culture that's unique to Providence. Emotions show what we love, but they also aren't always the right indicator for what we love. There's cultural impact, there's physiological, that is even um, substance impact upon our emotions, and we recognize that. But we also know that while they're signals of the heart, we also know that all emotions are good in their proper place. And think on that and consider that even beyond today. But God is the one who is implanted with you with the capacity to emote really in every way. And all emotions are good when they're put in order. That is sanctified, set apart for holy purposes. Emotions aren't everything. They aren't everything. Feelings. Could we say that instead of emotions? Feelings aren't everything. That's really helpful for us. And that needs to really actually uh, dig its way further into our hearts and even our feelings. That feelings aren't everything. Because it's very helpful when we're coming across feelings that are very intense. We need to make sure that we, we recognize that feelings aren't everything. We... We don't need to embrace everything we feel. Now, you've begun to learn that ever since you were a child, when you were an infant, as your parents gave you loving training and even 
even kind correction and gentle guidance as a, as a child to, to not embrace everything you feel. You're trained instinctively and practically in that way. But the fact is that as somehow as we grow to adulthood, we, we sometimes revert or sometimes haven't really shed all of the effects of naivety and really uh, the, the depravity of our hearts. And so we still tend to embrace things that we feel that may not be related to grace or truth. And we allow feelings to become our Bible. We allow feelings to become the wisdom, the guide, the compass of our life. We, we begin to assume that if we feel so strongly about something, or something that feels so, so right, or it feels so, so good, then, then it must be the, the ruling uh, factor in the moment. It must be uh, the dictator. It must be the leader in this moment. And we shove wisdom aside. But the, the word of wisdom in Proverbs, it over and over counsels the, the Son and counsels us today through the wisdom of Christ that just because you feel something doesn't mean you need to embrace it. And really God comes to us through the book of Proverbs and says, listen, you may feel the onset of anger, but you do not need to give yourself into it. You may feel jealous, but you do not need to be jealous. And here's why. You may, not, you may feel the passion towards a seductive moment, but you need not give yourself to it, for God has created a way of escape and a way that is better. And so the, the word of wisdom in Proverbs is that you do not have to embrace those feelings as being your guide, as being your compass. And this runs completely antithetical to everything the world is screaming at us today. A friend of mine posted on social media, a fellow pastor, said, my emotions make for a decent check engine light, but they make for a lousy and dangerous GPS. They make for a lousy and dangerous GPS. Now, headline after headline in the news um, is stories of people who give themselves to their feelings. And all of a sudden, it's become a story of what has taken place. The consequences or the achievement or whatever it could be on one end or the other. The fact is that what seems most natural to find our feelings and, and to follow them is not spiritual mindedness. Do you ever look at your dashboard and determine where you're going based upon your dashboard? No, it tells you about the quality of how you're going to get there. We don't need to suppress our feelings either. So, so on one end, we don't need to embrace every feeling that we have, every nudge, every urge. We'll have to embrace everything. But we also don't need to ignore or suppress our feelings either. The writer of Proverbs and of Psalms, uh, the psalmist, they all include, hey, this is, this is how you, you, you come. This is how you experience life under God. Life in Christ. There's no need to suppress. There's a, a, a free avenue, a free access to experience emotional uh, life in Jesus Christ. As we see that Jesus Himself as our author that we quoted earlier, experienced the breath of emotions. So we are given to that. But not only do emotions show us those things that we love and we set in priority of our lives, 
And not only do we see that they are good when they're put in their proper place, but we see that emotional expression is, is healthy for our relationships. It's healthy for our relationship with God to be emotional with God, to be, if we could say it, real, genuine, authentic. To express our love, to express our sorrow, to come to Him and to be emotional. We would do so with others and we should do so with others. Emotional expression is healthy for our relationship with others. And really the two, the reason why it's healthy for our relationship with God and with other others is because emotional expressions communicate an openness, a transparency. I'm giving you access here. It, it, it's, it's showing a vulnerability. I'm willing to be, I'm willing to be affected. I'm willing to be impacted. I'm willing to be influenced. And in relationship with God, I'm willing to be changed. Emotional expression is, is, is also a, a, a bridge to relatability, a commonness, an exchange, a transaction of experience, a transaction of relatability, and many other things. So we, we know that emotions are signals of the heart, but we, what do we do with them? Well, number two, we sanctify them in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We sanctify them in the fear of the Lord. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, also in Mark and in Luke, this is repeated. Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The heart is the seat of your affections. It's the seat of your emotions. It is where emotions are manufactured, where they're stirred up. It's possible to have emotions unrelated to the heart, as we had said before, medicines and some things like that. But it isn't possible, listen, to worship the Lord with an emotionless heart. It is not possible to not have a heart, to have a heart that is apathetic, that is numb, that has no emotional expression, and to know that that heart is sincere. Because every heart that comes before this awesome and great and good God is moved. No heart remains apathetic. No heart remains numb who perceives the true God. And so, while it is possible to have emotions unrelated to the heart, it is impossible to have an emotionless heart that's worshiping the Lord. We also see that the worship, when we worship God, we worship Him with emotions. We cannot worship God without emotions. We cannot worship God without emotions. When we look through Scripture, when we see someone who comes before the Lord and the pattern of, of their approach, 
we find them totally and wholly affected. Now, emotions doesn't equal worship. We would call that emotionalism. Emotions does not equal worship, but worship includes an element of emotionalism. The heart cannot resist being affected by the goodness and the greatness of God when a person comes before God. And so we should not neglect emotion in our worship of the Lord. We should not neglect emotion in our worship of the Lord. And it may be that the culture and the community of believers that you're around, there, tends, there could be a, a sense uh, of discomfort, a sense of stifling in the atmosphere. It's more perception perhaps than reality. But the fact is that we should give of ourselves in, in every part, in our heart, in our body, and in our soul, in loving God. There should be, in the, in the maturity of saints, an, an element and a breadth of the ability to experience and to express emotion in worship. That is, that there could be times when you should feel, even though we feel self-conscious, you should feel a tear running down your cheek as you worship the Lord, even among His people or in private. Or there should be times when, when you cannot stand still Perhaps even you raise your hands in worship because your expression and emotion is just given and you have an audience of one. And it would not be, and it would not be inappropriate for that expression of emotion to be cited in that way, just like it would not be inappropriate for you at a, at a sports event or some sort of event where you would physically express what is emotionally experienced in your soul. But we remember that the fear of the Lord is intellectual and it's affectional. We looked at that last week, that the fear of the Lord is, is intellectual and it's affectional. Remember, Peter counseled us that we are to, to set our minds and set our passions on the hope that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the fear of the Lord is, is, is wisdom and it's knowledge, but it's also affectional, it, it's it's, it ignites the heart. It, it stirs the soul. And it, and it moves the heart, the seat of the affections. And so thirdly, we experience emotions in the Spirit of the Lord. Can I even say this word instead of experience, although this might sound antithetical to some of our emotions, but let me just put it in there. We can enjoy emotions in the Spirit of the Lord. Not all emotions do we enjoy. I'm not saying that we run two channels at once in this emotion, that we hate ourselves because we have this emotion of sorrow or grief. It's not what we're saying. But enjoy the fact that, that you experience life in a dimension that is God-like. That you have cares, that you, that you have a love, that you, that you have something and spiritual insight into something that is far greater than just material. This is what sets us apart as worshipers of the Lord. You see, you see animals and objects and plants, they declare the glory of God, but they do not engage the glory of God. And it is the very heart, it is the very seat of our affections 
It is there where we meet God. So enjoy the fact that you have sorrow and that you have grief. For in this dimension, God even has grace for this. And there are several governing truths in, in experiencing emotions in the Spirit of the Lord. Number one, know this. Emotions are not sovereign. Emotions are not sovereign. Even though sometimes we cannot help the way we feel, and truly that can be a, a, a real truth in a, in a godly and a holy believer's life, there may be times when you cannot help the way you feel. We should be careful not to justify wrong behavior because we can't help how we feel. We can't justify what we're doing that would be wrong based upon our feelings. This feeling came to us uninvited. It was not nurtured. It was not cultivated. It was something uh, that surprised us. This feeling came on. We can't uh, help sometimes the way we feel, but we can control the way we act based upon that feeling. Emotions are not sovereign. Number two, even though emotions cannot be quantified or emotions cannot be qualified, described and scientifically measured out, we should be careful that they do not become sovereignly mystical. While we say, well, we can't measure this out, we also can't say, well, it just goes beyond understanding. It's just mystical. I can't really relate. Especially sometimes this comes into play when we are, are looking at our relationship with God and we, we just may feel at times we are not close to God. We may feel like that. We're not close to God. Or we may feel and we may determine uh, like the, the will of God for our lives, the direction that God would have us go based upon feelings. Or even we, we may even base our beliefs, our convictional beliefs based upon feelings. But we come back to the, the biblical teaching of, of sin and the depravity of man, and that is that, that our bodies are fallen, our minds are fallen, we, we bear the curse upon us, and our feelings are fallen too. Our feelings have the effect. Our emotion has the effect of depravity upon it. So we cannot give feelings the priority. Feelings have a place, but they're not sovereign. They should not be our guide. So emotions are not sovereign. Our feelings are not fact, or our feelings are not the Bible. But we also want to recognize that emotional expression can grow into maturity and, and balance, just as our faith does. We as, as believers are experiencing God's transformation in our lives as He sanctifying, cleansing, and working about a work of righteousness, fitting us and conforming us unto Jesus Christ. And that will involve all of us. Now, it does not appear physically right now like our bodies are being transformed, and they truly aren't. But our inner being is being transformed, including the seed of our emotions, our, our heart. And God has a desire that we would even grow and become more... Uh, 
more sanctified in our emotional being. And how God desires to shape and to, to channel and to shepherd us in our emotional life is firstly by the very Word of God. By learning from the Word of God what, who God is, how we live before Him. And secondly, and involved in this, is how the Spirit leads us even in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has the ability to shepherd our emotions, our feelings. This is how sovereign God is. This is how powerful God is. God can go into the invisible and the unique personhood of his children and he can shepherd our emotions. He can channel them. He can train them. He can train the expression. He can sanctify it so that even our emotions can become holy before him. And how does he do that? One of the leading ways in which God uses um, the Spirit, in His Spirit to shepherd us, is by our prayer life. Or our lack thereof. But in our relationship with God, we are invited to be who we are. It always is that way. When we come to Jesus Christ and confess to Him our sinfulness and plead upon Him for mercy and His saving grace, we do not clean ourselves up in order to get grace. And it never really changes after that either. Once God has imparted saving grace to us, forgiveness and cleansing in our heart, God still doesn't expect us to clean ourselves up before we come to Him in prayer. God desires for you to cry before Him with the aching and the fallenness of your understanding and of your feelings and of your heart. God desires to hear you. He doesn't doesn't hold back to you and say, calm yourself down, get yourself together, and then come to me in prayer. And sometimes we have to do that with our children, don't we? They come to us sobbing, overwhelmed, by a situation they can't express themselves, they have no words and they're just crying, we're trying to get words out of them. But listen, God, God, God says, just come to me like that. Pray through your emotions. Bring your feelings before the Savior. He's not impotent. He's not ignorant. He's not uncaring. He doesn't expect that you would have your emotions all in order and then you come to Him. Listen, this is what the psalmist did. When he was fearful, when he felt alone, when he felt abandoned and left alone by his friends, by his companions, and even isolated from God. When the psalmist felt deeply sorrowful, when he was ignited with anger, 
Whatever the emotion was, the psalmist just brings it before the Lord. And Psalms is really just, like I said before, it's just a description. It's just, here's what it's like to live sincerely before the Lord, to not clean yourself up, to just say, God, I'm broken. God, I, I feel like I'm six feet into the ground. I don't know why you put this on me. I can't handle it. Who are you, God, that you would allow this to take place in my life? The psalmist just puts it out there. And the psalms are a gift to us. The psalms are a gift to us who, who, who believe in our heart that God can't handle it. And the fact is, I think we're afraid to handle what God has for us when we come to Him. We're afraid of this movement of compassion towards us because we're so unbelieving and faithless that God moves towards the brokenhearted and the one who comes to Him in tears. We do not believe in the heart of hearts that God will move towards us in grace. We think He's going to pound us into the ground and so we don't come crying. We have a wrong view of God. But so often though, as we read through the Psalms, the psalmist comes before the Lord and sometimes with an accusatory tone. How dare you, God? I hold you in contempt. But by the end of the psalm, as the psalmist says, I just have to get this out before you, Lord. By the end of the psalm, his heart changes. And you just see his heart soften. And you see that God has begun to work through the prayer into his heart. What has happened here? The psalmist has said, I can bring my emotions, my feelings before the Lord. And when I do, He meets me there and God ministers to me in the middle of prayer. And so we see a journey in the Psalms. The beginning of heartache, and the end of receiving rest and the compassion of God. Pray through your emotions. Pray through them. Don't clean it up first. You can't. You won't. And you'll probably spend another long time struggling through this thing without receiving grace. Sometimes we don't pray over right away because we're so overwhelmed by emotions. And so instead of praying through our emotions, what, where do we turn? We eat through them. We distract ourselves through the emotion. We find anything else rather than praying through the emotion. Maybe we even just get more busy and get our mind off of it instead of praying through the emotion. How many of you feel like that's, you identify with that? Three? No, all of us do. All of us do. We, we, we need to do this. We need to pray through our emotions. Given to us as an example in the Psalms, look at what God does in the heart of the psalmist, when he just comes to the Lord. 
God wants us to come to Him first with our emotions. In our emotions. God promises when we come to Him, He will be our shelter and our fortress. He is the God who hears and He's the God who helps. God provides refuge in our emotions and we'll just put this here, God even provides refuge from our emotions. Lord, help my feelings. Help the way I feel. I I, I can't feel any other way about this. God, help the way I feel. God's a refuge for every part of who you are, including your emotions. And then allow the Spirit, not only let, let prayer and the Word form your faith and form your feelings, but yield unto the Spirit. Listen to Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk or keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives with you during your emotional outbursts. He's there. Now, other people might not be with you through those times. When you are just an emotional wreck, they might just be like, I'm just going to leave you to yourself. You just give me space, you work through this, we'll come back in five minutes, and you know we're having like this emotional meltdown. But the Spirit of God doesn't do that. He walks with you in the middle of this. And as, as he walks with us, he walks with us even in this, and he wants to guide us into what's true. And sometimes our emotions can shout so loud that we can't hear anything else. And sometimes we might even, instead of them being so loud, we, we just ignore them and silence them. But there needs to be a taming of the emotions and a yielding to the Spirit. We need to give of ourselves to looking into the Word of God, to, to meditating on what the Word of God is saying, and to tra- make a transaction with God in prayer. Listen, emotions are not sovereign. Feelings don't mean faith. As we close, when God rescues us by His saving grace, He begins to cultivate in us desires and emotions. When Christ came, he lived for us in our place, the perfect human life, with every emotion in alignment with God. In Proverbs, we have his wisdom for our emotions, the whole range of them. We need the heart and mind of Christ, and we need the emotional life of Christ that he offers to us. We can have the emotional life that Christ has to offer us. We can walk in the Spirit, in the Word of God, as our guide for our feelings. We do not have to have faith in our feelings. To, hear the, to fear the Lord means to have an opinion, uh, a respect that His opinion is the only one that matters. It's the one that finally matters among everybody else. 
and that God has given us approval through Jesus Christ. God doesn't leave us in front of everybody, on the stage, in front of everybody. He puts Jesus on the stage in front of everybody and says to us, His performance is your review. We can stop posing. We can stop pretending that we have it all together. We can stop fearing exposure. The fear that some might discover we don't have it all together. We can stop looking back over our shoulder and worrying about the sins that we had committed before and yesterday. We can know for certain that today, and we can never doubt the goodness and mercy that will follow us all the days of our life because of Christ. If we fear the Lord enough, we will let the gospel of done in Jesus Christ satisfy us. Our basic weakness, our flaw, our foolishness is what the New Testament calls our desires, our passions. Peter called it last week in 1 Peter 1, our former passions. For example, in James 1, James writes, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, his own feelings. Then, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The word that's used in James, desire, means something like emotion in overdrive, when emotion is just untamed. It is the death-creating power inside of us, in our whacked out emotions. Let's never think that just because we feel something honestly, we didn't even try it, it just came upon us and effortlessly and sincerely that therefore that feeling is okay. We are sinners and we can sin honestly. That is, we can sin without any speed bump in the way. We just do it. It just happens in the sense of it just comes natural. We don't even have to try sometimes to sin. It comes upon us so quickly. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the remedy. It isn't just the neutralization. It isn't just the stoicism of life. The gospel of Jesus Christ, in it, Christ finds us and receives us as, as we we had said, emotional jungles. And God doesn't turn us into emotional deserts. That is, we just feel numb, there's nothing left. God cultivates in us an emotional garden. And he puts in that garden life, and he brings color and order, where our drive and our compulsiveness are redeemed into a holy and beautiful freedom and intensity. The gospel emotion of Christ is given to us by grace. If we are out of control, if we are dead inside, we need to turn to Christ. The heart of Christ is open to us right now. You, you want to experience emotion, you find Jesus Christ in saving power. You'll live like never before. Proverbs 15.30 says, The light of the eyes... Rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. There is a good news in Jesus Christ, isn't there? And it becomes refreshing not only to our bones, but to our to our feelings. God has given grace for our feelings. He has wisdom too. 
And it's all in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.